The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. The Marsh Chapel community welcomes you to this Sunday service of ordered worship, one part of our 2009 National Preacher Series on the theme Darwin and Faith. This morning we are especially pleased to welcome to our organ bench for prelude and postlude Dr. Jisung Kim of Seoul, Korea. And we welcome you, one and all. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your selection of personal forms of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. Let us offer our praise to God in liturgy, homily, and music as a gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, as a New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and as an internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the first epistle of John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Listen for the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray together verses from Psalm 48 with the Antiphon. mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion, in the far north, the city of the great king. Within its citadels, God has shown himself a sure defense. Then the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astonished. They went in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, pains as a, as a woman in labor, as when an east wind shatters the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God establishes forever. We ponder your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. Your name, O God, like your praise, reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with victory. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go all around it. Count its towers. Consider well its ramparts. Go through its citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God, forever and ever, he will be our guide forever. Beloved, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria Dei, the reading of the Gospel.
Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Glory to you, Lord. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where, does, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed, anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. We spend a part of each summer on a small lake. Ours is a real once more to the lake lake, with much of the beauty and memory and quiet, seclusion and sense of mortality in E.B. White's fine story of that name. The tight belt and wet shorts follow the swim and forecast death. We do a good job at the bad job of deceiving ourselves about how short, how fragile life can be. And therefore, to the same end, about how wondrous, splendid, and magnificent is every hour and every day. One night we puttered about in a boat with a nine-horse motor. No one else was around. No one else was in sight. We let the motor idle, then die. And all around there was endless silence. That quiet that tickles and tingles. We sat in the boat. We sat a good long time. We had talked enough. So we just sat. There were six or eight different bird calls, repeated, moving against the background of the nothing, 
the quiet. There was then, after a while, the long, low frog call, and again, and again. There was a little quiet wind, just enough to move the trees. Two dogs barked, but only a little. A bass jumped, and then another. And then the long stretch of stillness again. A deep, long quiet. At last, a car moved along the shore road, slowly and softly, but with enough steam and sound to break the mood. Here is our experience. Mystery. Silence. In faith, we face our experience. At its depth, our experience is about mystery and about the exploration, step by step, of that mystery along the trail of the mystery of discipleship. In fact, that is a lot of what faith is meant to do, to help us truly to face up to our experience. Today, before we receive the Eucharist, Thanksgiving, sacrament means mystery. We shall depend on our faith to help us face our experience as creatures surrounded in a vast creation, older and larger than we have imagined, and shrouded in a mysterious silence. We shall look for help in the writings of one of the great Boston teachers, the father of a philosophy called personalism, Borden Parker Baum. We shall see whether he and others like him can help us in our discipleship our experience in mystery of silence. Our lectionary gospel today, Mark 6, acclaims the mystery of discipleship and reminds us of the requirement to let things go, to leave unnecessary weighty baggage behind. And Jesus' representatives, you and you all, are not to take anything unnecessary along for the journey. No bread, no bag, no cash, no change of clothes. You take only a staff, a defensive weapon of self-protection from the wild dogs of pride and sloth and falsehood. Falsehood and sloth can hurt you, but so can pride. Tie your running shoes double tight so that when you need to vamoose, amscray, make like a tree and leave, you do so dragging along no dust. This summer we listen for a good word about Darwin and faith. Our preachers represent the best of Protestant preaching, both regionally and nationally, and together they well blend the two so long disjoined learning and vital piety. Some are teachers with pastoral experience. Some are pastors with scholarly accomplishment. All are themselves disciples, knowers and lovers, both. Their presence this summer is in the service of the ministry, of the word. We thank them for their gifts to us. Doctors Wildman, Neville, Snyder, Eust, Rector McNally, Peterson, and Brother Whitney. Our series, Darwin in Faith, is unabashedly evangelical in purpose. We are reaching out to those whose mother tongue is the scientific method, who with us affirm the truth in Darwinian theory, and who seldom, if ever, hear the preaching of the gospel of truth to include evolutionary truth. We are reaching out to those in lab coats, those holding stethoscopes, those using microscopes, those who remember the trial of scopes. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ, the miracle and mystery of discipleship are yours too, we affirm. We are also reaching out to those who have long been seized by the confession of the church, but who discern a falsehood, whether spoken or silent, in the church's own preaching of the gospel of truth, who seldom, if ever, hear that preaching to include evolutionary truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the mystery of discipleship, can continue to be yours as well 200 years after Darwin's birth and 2,000 years after Jesus' resurrection. Today we ask, we wonder, did those here in Boston 100 years ago, midway between Darwin's birth and our morning Eucharist, leave us something to guide us along the trail of the mystery of discipleship? In earshot of Mark 6 and of 1 John 4, our response is in the affirmative. They teach us something about confidence, something about experience, and something about development. First, confidence. The personalist lived and taught a robust confidence about faith-facing knowledge, religion meeting science. In particular, they had no fear of learning from evolutionary theory. For most of its history, Boston University has been the home of personalism, a distinctive North American philosophical perspective whose best-known disciple was Martin Luther King. In addition to offering certain theological perspectives, personalism celebrated the freedom and potential of the human person. For Borden Parker Baum and Edgar Breitman, their late Kantian idealism made man the measure of all things and saw in the human personality a clue to the nature of the divine. Listen briefly to Baum and his major work titled simply Personalism, cited throughout the sermon and published in 1908, halfway between Darwin's birth and our service today. A wise naturalism has displaced the false supernaturalism of earlier times. We may admit the evolutionary formula as a description of the order in which things come along, such that the earlier forms were simple and homogeneous, and the later forms more complex and differentiated. Science and religion, long star-crossed lovers, need each other's embrace now in 2009, perhaps more than at any other time in human history. Science flounders without the wonder, legacy, discipline, morality, and purposeful compassion in religion at its best. Religion flounders without the factual honesty, native humility, reverence for experience, and practical compassion in science at its best. Truth is truth in learning and in piety. Of course, among others, Paul Tillich wisely taught us this 50 years ago. Of course, among others, Howard Thurman, that lover of penguins, wisely preached this in the sweep of the natural embrace 50 years ago. Our Boston University forebears, the personalists of all five generations, give us the gift of confidence. In person, in fact, they were confident people. I studied under a fifth-generation personalist at Ohio Wesleyan, Dr. Lloyd Easton. My father studied with Edgar Breitman here at Boston University, who filled the bound chair in those years. 
the personalists still have something to teach us about Darwin and faith. Philosophy, theology, preaching begin in wonder. The experience of lasting good is a mystery to be explored, a depth to divine. So Baum asked, what is the power at work which produces the phenomenal order? Second, experience. For all of their idealism, another subject for another day, the personalists focused on experience and more narrowly on the mystery of experience bound. Philosophy, he wrote, is simply an attempt to give an account of experience. Experience itself must be accepted as unconditionally trustworthy. Experience itself is the primary fact. All thought about reality must be rooted in experience. For us, the real can never be anything but the contents of experience and whatever we may infer from them. Our problem is to explain the world of experience, he wrote. Their understanding of experience continuously pronounced an apprehension of mystery. Mystery in experience. Perhaps an epigrammatic chorus will help. Philosophy begins in wonder. The world does not lack for wonders, but only for a sense of wonder. Experience enfant at depth is a mystery to be explored. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. The scripture read earlier said, no one has ever seen God. God is seer, not seen. God is not in time. Time is in God. Mystery and experience. They argued that the strength of our necessary negation needs to be further strengthened still to include within it ourselves and to include our own limitations. A personal, even humble, admission of our ultimate Ignorance, for all our knowledge of the connections between water, rock, plant, fish, bird, and animal life, we are still sitting in silence on a boat, the nine-horse motor now stilled. And the whole boatload of wisdom literature in the Bible could be cited here. Job, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Paul. Mystery and experience. Maybe a wisdom chorus will help us hear. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Where were you when I forged the foundations of the universe? I perceive that under the sun the race is not to the swift. Time and chance happen to all. There is no speech, nor are there words. Mystery in experience bound. There is nothing to excite alarm in any permissible doctrine of the transformation of the species, he wrote 101 years ago. We who embrace a strict negativity, a theological via negativa, 
the marrow of Protestant aversion to idolatry, need to make sure that we ourselves are negative enough, that our negation extends far enough, far enough to include us too. Once you admit the reality of the invisible in your own experience and the mystery thereof, you make space for the exploration of mystery. Mystery and experience. Is memory real? Are dreams things of substance? Are thoughts something? What about dread, longing, fear, anxiety, hatred, despair? Are they actual existential realities? Is friendship something real? What about trust, affection, confidence, agreement? And love? Is love more than effective byproduct? When you say, I love you, does the verb refer to anything real? Let me ask you about hope. When you say, I sure hope so, does the verb refer to anything? And what of faith? When you say, I have faith in him, does this mean anything? Memory is invisible. So too are dreams, thoughts, dread, friendship, trust, affection, confidence, love, hope, and faith. All these things invisible are things of heaven, not earth, if you will. Do you, do you admit their reality or not? Once you admit in personal experience to the reality of the invisible, you admit in general to the possibility of invisible reality. As Boltmann once wrote, the gospel is the triumph of the invisible over the visible, of what is not visible over what is. A central particular case of this mystery of the invisible is what Baum terms the mystery of self-determination. This is something which cannot be mechanically analyzed or deduced, he wrote, as a necessary result. It can only be experienced, it, it can only be recognized as the central factor of personality, the condition of responsibility, the basis of moral life. Our need is to understand, to face our experience, which includes experience of the invisible, of the non-material. Our experience includes more than the very real dimensions equally present in cosmic and in personal life of the impersonal, the ambivalent, the inattentive, the passive, the wild, the violent, the inexplicable, and the wasteful. Third, development. The personalists took up the Darwinian insight into development with all its random, wasteful, violent, unforeseen effects. De development, change, progression, are at the heart of things they saw. The personalists saw and emphasized this many decades ago. A Darwinian perspective causes us to value development, to see continuities between our own created being and the rest of the known world, to acknowledge continua and continuity, all of which 
will help us, especially in our time. So bound, the universe is no fixed and completed static fact, but rather a process. And again, no developing thing can ever be understood or defined by what it momentarily is, but only by all that which it is to become. In addition, they argue that social Darwinism needs strongly to be avoided. Bound passionately opposed Spencer and others and gave us an example for avoiding the social misapplications of Darwinian theory that threaten to emerge in every age. Bound's idealism we, we may dispute, but regard for a moment his conclusion which we may be inclined to admit. The more we dwell upon this, the more mysterious our life becomes for the imagination, he wrote. In its relation to the human being, the space world is largely a potentiality, waiting for realization by man himself. There are harvests waiting to grow, flowers waiting to bloom, but it cannot be until man sets his hand to work. The flora and fauna of the earth are increasingly taking their character from our will and purpose. Even climate, 100 years ago, he wrote, even climate itself is not independent of our doings and misdoings. The space world is nothing complete and finished in itself, but is forever becoming what we will it to be. In the mystery of discipleship, here is a witness, a personalist witness from 100 years ago to affirm confidence, experience, and development. In faith, with an affirmation of confidence, experience, and development, we may continue to face our experience. You may take confidence. You may trust experience. You may engage development. The author of 1 John knew theological difficulty perhaps better than we do, and in concert with the author of the Gospel of John, displayed more spiritual courage than we normally do. He said, no one has ever seen God, the divine the invisible, that beyond our poor power to add or detract, the unimaginable, the transcendent. But this author then moves ahead, and he invites you to explore a mystery. He even gives us the necessary clue about how to do so. If, this is a big if. If we love one another, he writes, God's love abides in us and is made whole in us, dwells and develops, lives and lasts. How? How so? It is a, a mystery, the mystery of discipleship. You are invited to travel light 
and you are invited to come along. I'm going out to clean the pasture spring. I'll only stop to rake the leaves away and wait to watch the water clear I may. I shan't be gone long. You come. come to to this table of bread and cup open to all of whatever age, denomination, and station. You come to following service to join us for fellowship in the ground floor space of Marsh Chapel. You too are invited. You come too to offer praise and thanksgiving and material resource in a moment in our 
offering in the nave and those listening from abroad may be encouraged to give online at the website. You come too through the next seven sermons of our series Darwin and Faith. We are pleased with your presence this day and look forward to your return next Sunday. You come to to find your ministry among us, your place, your calling, your service. You come to now to join us in the offering for this day as we continue in the praise of God.
work before us, for the fellowship among us, for thy love that surrounds us, we offer our thanks. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray. Amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of the risen Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ is always with you. Let us offer one another signs of peace and reconciliation. to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing, always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets, who looked for that day when justice shall roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, when nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven and giving voice to all creation, we praise your name and join the unending hymn. your Son, Jesus Christ. Your Spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, 
to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. At his ascension you exalted him to sit and reign with you at your right hand. We remember how when Jesus sat at supper with his friends, he took bread, and when he had given thanks and blessed it, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, all of you, for this is my body broken for you. Each time you do this, remember me. Likewise, after supper, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks and blessed it, he gave the cup to his disciples and said, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you drink this, remember me. And so, in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your spirit on us gathered here, and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at the heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us your peace. All are welcome at the Lord's table. There is wine in the chalice on the pulpit side and alcohol-free grape juice on the lectern side. There is also gluten-free bread available. Please just ask. There are other invitations in your bulletin. Look, the bread of heaven is broken for the life of the world. Look, 
the cup of salvation is poured out for the life of the world. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep this feast with joy and thanksgiving.
Beloved, let us pray together. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. and therefore we may bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the name of the Creator and the Redeemer and the Sustainer. Amen. 